Welcome back to Carolina Conservatives. We are Preachers with a Punch here. We are welcoming you onto the podcast today, and we've got some exciting things to talk about today. And yes, you may be seeing somebody a little bit different on with, with me today. Yes, Alan, I think we just give him the boot, and we've got somebody that's going to be much, much better coming out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Alan, is, Alan is doing some work right now. I better not say that because he'll probably edit me out on that. So Alan is doing some work right now and could not join us, but uh, very glad to have joining with us today Dr. Jonathan Burris. And so he will be co-hosting with me today. He is a pastor. He is a preacher, and he, he packs a punch as well. And so we're very excited to have him on. My name is Dr. Nathan Street, and I want to introduce you to Dr. Jonathan Burris. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for the privilege of being, being able to be on today. I love listening to you guys. I appreciate your, uh, your passion. Uh, obviously, I appreciate the fact that you guys do not hold anything back. You pull no punches. So your name is certainly fitting of, uh, of your character and, and, and your presentation. And so uh, one of the things that I absolutely love about you guys is that um, you're consistent on screen and off screen. So when you're not on the camera, it's not a show. You guys are genuine and that's what I absolutely love. And if there's one thing we need more of today, it's that, we, that consistency, uh, as well as the passion and being willing to stand up because we have too many pacifists, Christians. Boy, do we ever, Jonathan? I, it is, Dr. Burris, this is, you hit the nail on the head, brother. It is, we, we do, we see it all the time, these these mealy-mouthed, panty-waisted pastors that get up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, if they do Sunday night and Wednesday night, and all they do is pet you on the head and pat you on the bottom and 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 just and all they're doing is they just pushing you right on into hell yeah. instead of instead mm -hmm. of helping people reach up to the next branch. I'm always appreciate appreciative of pastors who cut the branch out from under me and made me climb higher. You know, so I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. So tell me about your church. You, where do you pastor and uh, and how long have you been there? And uh, give us a little bit of your background. So I pastor New Center Christian Church. We're located in Seagrove, North Carolina. Uh, it's an interesting name. Depending on where we go, we hear all kinds of things. So uh, I'll get introduced as being the pastor of New Christian Center Church or New Center, S-I-N-N-E-R Church. Um, you know, I've had oh. some, you know, what does that mean? So <laughs> the, we are actually, uh, we're actually about to this Sunday celebrate our 150th uh, anniversary. I have been there for 11 years and we're looking forward to doing a year of Jubilee. We are, uh, by doctrine, we are an independent Baptist work. Uh, that's, uh, but the church was founded by a Methodist circuit writer back in the 1870s. Um, he and 16 faithful uh, people wanted to start a work there at a place where there was uh, uh, an existing place, a, a school called the Center School. They built a new place there, and uh, and that's how we got the name New Center Church, New Center Christian Church. And back at a time when the Methodist Church was trying to grow as fast as they could, and then the United Church of Christ was trying to grow as fast as they could, there was a, a lot of pull. Uh, by those members to join one of those two denominations. And they looked at it and made the decision that uh, they would have no appellation other than Christ or Christian in their name. And so that's how we got the name. And that's uh, been our consistent stand, at least you know, for these last 150 years. And I see no need to change that. Absolutely. All right. That's fantastic. So, so you're independent Baptist. Yes. Good. All right. Good. But I'm so, not so independent that my termites won't visit someone else's and oh. <laughs> fellowship. So uh, I, I I absolutely love fellowshipping with others and then 
we absolutely we, we do that from time to time. That's wonderful. Now, I, I, you know, and I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about you. And, I, you know, and I'll, I'll just tell our audience about this, that that, you know, I've seen you really uh, you've really reached out and worked with different denominations, you know, and just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reached across those walls, those man-made walls that we put up. I mean, there's not going to be, I, you know, I've born and raised Church of God, Pentecostal holiness. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, there's not going to be a Pentecostal heaven. There's not going to be a independent <laughs> Baptist heaven. There's not going to be a Southern Baptist heaven. We're all going to be there together. So I really appreciate how you have, how you reached out and you really um, got to know a lot of the pastors in the area and built those relationships with other, other churches. So that's good. We need to, we need that more, especially people. And I put you in a class of those pastors like Brent Tysinger and Boyd Byerly and some of those folks in the, in the area who aren't afraid, Alan Mashburn, who aren't afraid to speak the truth, no matter how unpopular that that may be. And so I really appreciate you for that. So have you gotten any kind of blowback for preaching the truth, no matter how unpopular it may be? Well, absolutely. You know, I, I, I'll tell you one of the one of the one of the best ways to uh, find out who, who's going to stick with you is to preach on the attributes of God. To talk about the uh, how sinful man is. When you start talking about the lostness of man, and it, it will turn people off. It will turn people away. You'll find out really quickly that people don't believe they're as bad as the Bible says that they are. And with that being said, until we know how lost we are, we'll never know how wonderful Christ is and what he has done for us. Amen. Absolutely. You know, I heard heard this just yesterday that someone wrote, um, and I forgot where it was, but I I read it that said that the closer we get to Christ, the more, the more guilty we feel about. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, and that's I, I completely agree with that statement. Uh, in 28 years of ministry, I, I can tell you that the closer I get to the Lord, and, and the more I study, the more I read, the more I pray, the more inadequate I feel, the more unworthy I feel. But that doesn't make me feel inferior. It just makes me more grateful for what my Savior has done for me, and it draws me closer. I see Him, you know, as as the Bible says, if He is lifted up, He'll draw all men unto Himself, and that's exactly what needs to be done. But the only way we can see him high and lifted up is if we get ourselves off of that pedestal first. Amen. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that's probably what we're seeing in our culture more so nowadays is the reason why you can't preach sin. You can't preach hell hot. And it's a place that we should shun and, you know, and, and heaven to gain. We can't preach that because people are so bought into this secular humanist viewpoint perspective of themselves that, you know, that they are within themselves. And, you know, this word of faith movement has really led to that too, as we are little gods, you know, we mm-hmm. are, we are autonomous all in and of ourselves and that God ought to be very happy that he's got us serving him. That's the kind of the attitude that I've, that we've picked up. And so when you try to tell people where they're living, the number one thing you hear is, you're judging me. Stop judging me. Who are you to judge me? So what kind of response do you give to people like that? I, 
that's that's been a that's been a, a very frequent response of late. And I'll tell you, anytime somebody quotes to me just Matthew seven one or says that you know judge not that you be not judged, that just goes ahead and tells me that they've not read the rest of Matthew chapter seven, and they certainly not read the rest of Matthew five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount, where we find that. Because in the verses following that in chapter seven, Jesus tells us how to judge righteously. And one of the other things that I keep hearing is nobody but God can judge me. No, only God can judge me. That phrase I absolutely hate. It's not in the Bible. What they're doing, they're quoting Tupac, uh, a, a rapper from, I don't know, I think the 90s. But that's where that comes from. And people have no idea. Amazing, isn't it? It's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I knew someone one time that said, the Bible says that two birds, it, it's, it's two, one bird in hand is better than two in the bush. No, Bible never said that. <laughs> well, no, well, I know the Bible said two heads are better than one. No, the Bible never said that either. <laughs> you know, so, well, I know the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. Mm, <laughs> didn't say that either. Not even in the New International Version. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, that is what we're seeing, though, is that, these people that just don't want to, and, and we knew this this would happen in the last days that people would would not want to heed to uh, to sound doctrine that they wanted to heap to themselves teachers with having itching ears and doctrines of devils and things like that, and that's exactly what we're seeing now. and And our culture and our country has really embraced the, these high places that they have now, you know, and and we're seeing this devolution of culture. I mean, it's just, it is, which is also biblical, you know, that in the end that things, that times would wax worse and worse. And so when we see that though, here's a really good question. I really want to hear from you on this is when we see this, we know what's happening. The Bible tells us that we're, we're wrapping things up. We're coming to the end. Uh, but as Christians, does that then negate our purpose of speaking out against the truth? Because I know some Christians that are like, well, we knew this was going to happen, so I'm just not going to say anything, and I'm just going to watch it all burn down because it's going to burn anyhow. So should we? what should we do in times like that, knowing what's going to happen? Should we still stand up and be counted? Should we still preach against these, these sins and these wrongs, or should we just go along for the ride? I think that's a fantastic question. And I think there are different approaches to that that we're seeing today. There are wrong approaches and there are, there is a right approach. The wrong approaches are the ones that say, it's the culture. We can't do anything about it. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. So we shouldn't be trying to influence the world. And that is absolutely antithetical to the gospel. When we do that, when we lay down and die, when we surrender our liberties, we will never get them back. And we do not know when. The Lord is coming back and, and we do not know how much time we have. But what we do know is we do know the Great Commission still applies. We are to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are to go and make disciples to teach whatsoever he has commanded us. And that is a responsibility that has not been negated, that should not be negated. It has not been, it is not one that has been lifted. It's a responsibility that we are still beholden to. Another thing that I think is important, you mentioned people uh, having itching ears. And I, I used to think that people were deceived. That, that there were these false prophets and there were these false teachers that would rise up and then people would become deceived about that. And, and, and I, yes, technically that is true. But what I've come to believe of recent is that looking at the scriptures and seeing that the Bible says that they're going to have itching ears. And I think that what God has done is he is 
because of the reprobate condition of mankind, he has stepped aside and given them what they want. They, he has given them someone to scratch that itch for them. You know, Romans 1 tells us that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. And I think that is the greatest condemnation of so many people today, that there is general revelation, nature. We can go on and on and see there is evidence of God in this, of, of, of God in creation. The Bible says that man's without excuse, mm. but we look for every reason and make up every excuse as why we do not believe in God. But God said, we're without excuse. That's we right. have to do what we're commanded to do. If not, we, you and I, as, as not as, not as ministers of the gospel, but as Christians, we will stand accountable for what we do at the judgment seat of Christ, not for our salvation, but we will stand account for what we do as a child of God and how we carry out the Great Commission. That is such a good point. And, and that is, that's something that I think we should really drive home to listeners is, listen, it's not your pastor. It's not your, the ministers. It's not your evangelist. It's not your Sunday school teacher, per se, that should carry the weight of this. It's all of the above. You included lay person, the person who just comes and wants to just warm the bench on Sunday mornings. You're responsible for carrying out the Great Commission. We've all, as Christians, been commanded to do that. It is not a, well, if you want to and you feel like it, we've been commanded to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what we've been commanded to do. And so, you know, it, it comes down to, are you going to obey the Lord or are you not? Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of people just say, well, that's the pastor's job or that's the evangelist's job. And no, that's not it. We, last time, you know, pastors are the shepherds. When was the last time that you saw, saw a shepherd begetting a sheep? It don't <laughs> that is an excellent point. <laughs> the sheep beget sheep. So church folks, you're supposed to go out there and compel them to come in. You're the one who's supposed to be begetting the the spiritual sheep. The pastor just rounds them up and protects them and stands in the gap when the wolves try to come and eat them. So, you know, that's what we should be doing. So it really falls on you, lay person, church member. It falls on you to bring people in your families and start with your families. Goodness gracious. If we had a church full of families, we wouldn't have a place to seat people anymore. You know, it's just the way I think I think in particular, the fathers, you know, we do so much within our churches to we have we have bus ministries, van ministries where we go out and try to reach the kids and get the kids in. And and that's all fine and good. I love that. I do that. We do that at our church. But one of the things that I think is absolutely fundamental is that we go after the men. Mm. Thank God for godly women who oftentimes out of necessity have to step up and be the spiritual head of their home. But studies show that if you get the father, you get the whole family. Amen. It's the truth. And, you know, and I think that that is what is really contributing to is a major contributing factor to the real one of the purposes that we that we have you on today. But that's one of the major contributing factors to this rise in what I believe and what I've seen as far as study in, in statistics and studies go, this rise in, in, in children who are identifying as LGBTQIA, AIEIO, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, yeah. the, all the, the alphabet soup. They want to, to say, you know, well, I, I'm going to pick my gender. I'm going to be what I want to be here. 
I believe that a lot of it has to do with absentee fathers. And I bet you if we did a true study, we would find that either the father is not there at all or is only the, his shell is only there. He's not really invested in his children. And I believe that we would probably see that's the major contributing factor to a lot of this LGBT stuff. And so, you know, we've got a country that is buying into this too. We've got a culture that is promoting this. And particularly recently, uh, there have been changes that have been proposed to Title IX. Now, Title IX back years ago, Title IX was developed to ensure that women had equal access in sports and in education and and in in our in our society that they were you know if you're going to spend a million dollars on a baseball stadium you're going to spend a million dollars on uh, one for boys you're going to spend that same for girls you know that there's going to be equal opportunity there but now we're starting to see the Biden administration and our culture that's starting to monkey with this a little bit so I know that you've done a lot of study on this what are you seeing? Well, I think you bring up a very good point, firstly, about its origin. You know, going back to 1972, it's an extension of the, uh, of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And this was originally an amendment known as Title IX to that law that was 37 words in length. And it did exactly as you said. It provided protections against sexual discrimination against women at a time when only 42% of women or, or of American college students were actually female. So signed into law by Nixon, but then some things began to happen. And throughout the eighties and even into the nineties, we started to have the Supreme court rule that sexual, that, that sexual harassment and assault is also a form of sexual discrimination. So through the course of time in 2011, the Obama administration issued guidance remind, res, reminding schools to redress sexual assaults as civil rights cases under Title IX. Now, think about that, mm -hmm. that sexual assaults are now civil rights cases, and therefore the federal government can touch everything associated with it. In addition, the Obama administration, you know, when they couldn't create law, the executive branch can't create law, but they enforce laws, and therefore they've got some liberty when it comes to the interpretation. And so this guidance is enough to signal to schools that the full resources of the executive branch are going to be used to prosecute sexual assault cases as civil rights matters, as well as make LGBTQ uh, students a federally protected class. And mm -hmm. then it goes from there down to, and we get to the Trump administration and May of 2020, the Department of Education under Betsy DeVos, you know, who according to the left may or may not be the great Satan incarnate, <laughs> issued a letter to the state of Connecticut, which, you know, who has, who was allowing transgender girls to compete in high school sports. And, and, and that letter stated that that was a violation of the civil rights of female student athletes and a violation of title nine. And then, you know, some things happen. 81 people, 81 million people votes for a vote for a man who's kept locked in his basement. The orange man supposedly attacked a team of secret service agents while trying to commandeer a suburban. Some people took the tour of a U.S. Capitol unannounced and a gender, gender dysphoric person becomes head of the HHS. So in March of 2021, Joe Biden's administration issues an executive order guaranteeing an educational environment free from discrimination on the basis of sex. But here's the, ki the kicker, including sexual orientation or gender identity. 
This turned things around hard. And then in June 16, 2021, the Department of Education uh, comes out and says that they're going to enforce Title IX's prohibition on discrimination on the basis of sex to include discrimination based on sexual orientation and based on gender identity. And that is a spiral that we will not recover from if that goes into effect. So I seem to recall, didn't even Justice Gorsuch rule with the, with the left on the Supreme Court about a something to do with this, particularly he uh, with the uh, transgender and the LGBT being considered in that protected class. He ruled with them. Did I, is that something you're familiar with? I, I am not. I'm not familiar yeah. with that particular case. I think that he did, from what I understand, and because I remember uh, I listened to Ben Shapiro when it comes mm-hmm. to that. But that is, you're right, that that is really opening the doors to what we are experiencing, what we're going to experience when it comes to this. And I was looking at the U.S. Department of Education and what they had proposed, their changes that they had proposed. And all through this, they're discussing that you can't discriminate against an individual based on sex. And then when you go down through the bullet points, that specifically says protect LGBTQ plus students from discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity, and sex characteristics. Now, mm-hmm. my question for you, and we're going to play a little bit of devil's advocate for you here, Dr. Burris. So here's my question. Shouldn't we really, shouldn't we want to protect all students, including LGBTQ students? Are you really in favor of them being discriminated against? And and are you really you in favor of putting them in in a dangerous and hostile situation uh, to where I mean you the reason why you would really oppose this ordinance to go into effect. So are you really advocating for these students to be in a hostile and dangerous situation? I think that's a fair question, but I think it is a question that when asked, and I understand you're playing devil's advocate, but it does so at the peril of women. Think about this. Under the new guidance, men who identify as women will be allowed to access women's bathrooms, locker rooms, dorms, overnight accommodation, sports, and other sex-segregated activity at educational institutions that receive federal financial aid. And now think about that. A biological male could be someone's daughter's college roommate at the school at a school, and that school is under no obligation to disclose the risk or danger to that unknowing female. And that doesn't only apply to college students. Many high school students attend overnight functions at colleges. My daughter went to the, I believe it was the University of Charleston back in the summer uh, with, a, uh, with a sports program. And under those rules, under those proposed rules, a biological male could end up staying in a room with my daughter. And I'll tell you, that is preposterous. And yes, that is at the peril of that student because I, as a father, have a responsibility to protect my daughter. Absolutely. I mean, and as a former as a former high school educator myself, I used to take children uh, out of state on overnight trips. Mm -hmm. So essentially any any of the boys could automatically say, you know what, I feel like a woman today. And uh, and so I'm going to room with my girlfriend, you know, and and where, where do we where could we stop that? I mean, there's there's no I could not, according to this law or what would be a law. 
uh, if the Biden administration got their way, I wouldn't be able to stand up and say, you know what? No, you're not. You're not uh, female. So you can't actually be in the room with your girlfriend. I would have to allow that to happen. So imagine if that sort of thing and and the way that things are going they don't even want parents to know about this stuff. They, you know, the teachers and some of the teachers unions are even saying that these children who come and they want to change their gender, gender identities, that they should be able to do that. And that parents, they've literally made the statement that parents don't have the right to know about this. So this could be happening at school without me have as a teacher, having the right to tell the parents that, Hey, this biological male is wanting to room with a, your biological female, their boyfriend and girlfriend, because he feels like a woman today on this trip. What, what kind of recourse that could we have on that? Yeah, you know, I think that's an excellent point. You know, one school's gender support plan literally reads, remember, parents are not entitled to know their kids' identities. That mm-hmm. knowledge must be earned. And therein lies the problem. The leftists believe that children are property of the state rather than the responsibility of the parents and children are a heritage of the Lord to the Lord. And we as parents, as parents, here's what we've done. We have surrendered to Caesar that which is God's abdicated, abdicated our God given responsibility to disciple our children while at the same time surrendering the future of our country. And the left has subjugated the Judeo Christian ethos in the public forum through things like this. Now here's the scariest part. The scariest part is Title IX actually applies to any school that receives federal funding. Remember all the federal tax dollars that was made available through loans and grants during the COVID pandemic that everybody jumped on, including many Christian schools? What mm-hmm. is to stop the federal government from coming in to these Christian schools and saying, hey, you, you received those federal dollars, and, and now you've made a proverbial deal with the devil? What's to stop them from coming in and telling these schools that they are beholden to these rules? Where do we draw the line between we like to have those federal tax dollars and we're a Christian, we have standards and guidelines that we will not cross and that must govern our lives? You're exactly right. And it's a very good point. And I think it's very one that a lot of folks don't even know the depth of what uh, of how this I, I, I know in North Carolina. That North Carolina, if you choose to go to a private college or university in North Carolina, the state automatically grants you a a scholarship to do that. I mean, it's just automatic. I got it because I went to Wingate University as an undergraduate, private Christian school, uh, and and I got the the North Carolina Legislative Tuition Grant. That's uh, just a hundred percent. And then who knows where that money actually originated? It could have originated in the federal government, and so the federal government could come along and say, you know what, Wingate University, now you have to do what we say do, you know. And, and then look at these look at these vouchers that kids are using to go to private elementary, middle, and high schools. We don't know where that money originated. That could have originated from some sort of funding of the federal government. You, your school takes that, that voucher, you automatically are beholden to the state. But now here's something that's really scary to think about. I don't know, if, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to what you think about this. So our churches, we don't receive federal grants. We don't get federal money. But the argument could be made that, well, we kind of do because we're not taxed. So if the government comes along and says, hey, churches, you like your you like your tax free status? Well, that's money that's granted by the federal government 
So now you do what we say do, and you and you make sure that you have a trans or a homosexual on your staff. No, they've already tried it. States have already tried that. Uh, California has tried it. Uh, other states are considering those types of moves. We see it in the le- on the left all the time where they bring up that churches should not be tax exempt. Whether or not they engage or involve in politics at all, it doesn't matter. They want that rescinded. The reason why they want that rescinded is they want us rescinded. They want us gone. Uh, they're not it. after our tax dollars. They're after us, and they want to shut us down. That is, that is just undebatable. Now, when we talk about that, though, I think that is absolutely coming. And I, I, I've said for years that I, I believe the day is coming that we will. And, and I, I'm not a prophet. I can't say when it's going to be, but I, I believe that we all should need to pre- be prepared for the day when churches lose their tax exempt status. But what are we going to do? Are we going to go? Okay, well. We have to pay taxes in order to stay open. Well, you know, people think, okay, it's that simple. I'll just pay taxes. No, friends. Once we, once that barrier falls, the government has can do anything that they want. And we go back to the COVID restrictions uh, that North Carolina had to deal with. And thank God for the churches and the, that stood up and sued, that brought suit against the governor of North Carolina who overreached. But it wasn't the federal constitution that that, that, that that saved us in that. It was the North Carolina state constitution that saved us. But in, but for states that do not have such protections, I don't think we can lean on the federal courts. I mean, yes, it was a federal judge that, that, that helped us and stood with us in this matter. But think about what has had to happen. And it made it all the way to uh, uh, some high courts with regards to, let's think about John MacArthur's church in California and the government trying to shut them down. What have we seen? If they can't do it through the tax department, if they can't do it through the health, through something else, they'll do it through the health department. Mm-hmm. So they'll use whatever means necessary to stop us. We have seen that. We just need to be prepared for it. We, we do need to be prepared for it. And so that, so that, that, you know, and I think that they're going to try to use cudgels like title nine to mm-hmm. really, jump in on churches and try to make, try to force their will on churches and, and say, well, you know, you can't discriminate based on sexual orientation. And and you're right. We have seen this. We've even seen them reach into, into the private realm and try to do that. I mean, technically the government has no authority at all with any private organization, whether that be a church, whether that be a privately owned business, whether that who, who a private school, they have no authority to step in and say, that, well, you, you can't really discriminate. That means that anybody that wants to come and teach at your school or wants to be a pastor at your church or wants to be on staff, if they are an openly homosexual or they are a transgendered person, that they have to be, you have to take them onto your staff. You have to. We're not seeing that yet, but they are moving in that direction. And so my question to all the churches out there will be when that happens, and I say when that happens, what are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to put those people on your staff just to you? Are you going to roll over and allow the government to have their say, regardless of what the Bible says? When you know what the Bible says, I mean, some of these churches are doing it whether the government says it or not. You know, openly homosexual and transgender people they're putting in as pastors. I mean, those churches are already gone. Some of these mm-hmm. Methodist churches, some of these Episcopal churches, Anglican churches. You know, they're they're already gone. But when it comes down to our church, Randolph County, North Carolina, or where I am here in South Carolina, which is very green, a very, uh, very red. 
what are we going to do when those churches, when they come to you and say, you better do this or we're going to shut you down? Pastors, what are you going to do? So what should we do? I think the, the Christian church needs to be prepared for real persecution. We have never in America faced persecution like the church around the world has. But the good news is the church, while we have done, I'll say we've done well. That's probably not a good statement to make in times of prosperity. The church always grows during time of persecution. And if you look at where the church is most persecuted today, China, Iran, places like that, where the church is actually in underground, in hiding, worshiping in spite of the fact that the state police may come in at any moment and shut you down, take your pastor away, and just disappear you. You know, We need to understand that if you look at the book of Acts, that's how the early church grew. That's when the early church grew. Mm-hmm. And we need to be prepared for that today. And we need to have a faith that sustains us not only in the good times, but also in the bad. And it is that great commission that compels us. Not only that, but it should be the burden that we have for the lost, the burden that we have for America, this country that has been, as Reagan said, that city on a hill, that light on a hill that cannot be hid. We should care about the future of this country. We should care about the future for our children. Again, mm-hmm. we do not know how long it's going to be before the Lord returns or how long we have before the Lord calls us home. I have two kids and I look forward to one day, many years from now, having grandkids. And I want to see a world where America is still the last best hope for freedom. As it has been said, if America falls, where are we going to go? There's no island. There's no other country. This is still it, with all of her faults and failures, it is still the last best hope for mankind as far as nations on this earth. It's true. And as, and that's a great way to put it. And folks who are watching, who are listening, if you don't think that it is possible for these things to be happening, I would have said the same thing about everything we've experienced so far. I would have said that about five or 10 years ago. Who would have thought that, the, that one party in this country could control the FB lie. And I did say FB lie, and I hope that they hear me when I say that. The FB lie and the Department of Injustice, one party that if you speak out against that party or you express your uh, what you feel like about a, a, an election, whether it, you feel like it was stolen or not, you, that the FBI, then the FB lie comes in, puts a boot through your door. You know, so... Folks, we're seeing these things. And we often thought that in America it wouldn't po- be possible that a militant police would come in and would tell us to put up our Bibles and you can't read this anymore, or that, you know, or pull down a picture of Jesus and have everybody line up and spit on the p- picture of Jesus or you'll be shot and killed. Folks, you may not think that that's possible, but it is possible. And we're heading in that direction. That if you don't worship at the altar of the Democrat Party, or you don't worship at the altar of the leftists, that you're gonna that we're gonna face this. If you don't put LGBT folks on your in on your staff at church, give them position in your church, that you're gonna be shut down. Those sorts of things are coming our way, and I 100% agree with Dr. Burris. When, what are we going to do? We've got to be prepared for it. Now's the time to prepare. We don't prepare whenever the horse has already left the barn. 
We got to prepare now, just like Joseph did in in uh, in Genesis. He saw God gave him the vision. He saw the years of famine coming. So during the years of plenty, he put up, he stored up for that. What are we doing to store up for our people now to ensure that we can make it through these difficult times? We are going to see persecution. We are going to see tribulation, whether that whether you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, it doesn't matter. You know, we're going to see some tribulation in some form or fashion. What are we going to do? Are we going to stand or are we going to lay down? Well, I tell you one thing, I'm going to stand. Pastor Burris, you're going to stand too, I'm pretty sure. Amen. Yes, sir. So, folks, it's going to come down to this. Are we going to stand up? Are we going to be heard? Are we going to be are we going to be counted amongst the remnant that remains? Or are we going to go along with everybody else with those sheep right off the cliff? Because that's where everything else is careening off this cliff as fast as it can go. What are we going to do? And so, Pastor Burris, I'm just give you the last word on anything that you want to add to us. And and what should the what should the Christian do right now to prepare for all this? Well, I think uh, if I can go back to Title Nine for just a moment, there's one other thing that I want to I want to draw out about the Title Nine issue, and it, and it has an impact on everything that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. So, when 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 the Obama administration made their Title Nine guidance changes, it changed the burden of proof in sexual harassment and assault cases. Mm. Now, the Biden administration, where the Trump administration backed that off, and they changed the standard of proof. And so the Trump administration changed the standard of proof for sexual assault and 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 uh, harassment to be the same standard of evidence as if anybody was, who was an employee or faculty was accused. It was a clear and convincing standard. But now, under these proposed changes, all that has to happen is there has to be just a, it has to be more likely than not that discrimination occurred. Not only that, but it does away with it does away with uh, our fifth and sixth amendment rights for due process. Mm-hmm. There is no longer the guarantee for cross examination in these in these situations. We have no guarantee to face our accusers. That means that my son could go to school, and just because someone doesn't like him and doesn't and, and we sh- we're fools if we don't think that this happens. False accusations happen. Look at Joseph in the word of God. One of the Mm -hmm. greatest, most faithful men in the scriptures ended up in prison. He was faithful in all things that Potiphar had put him in charge of, and he would not betray himself with his, with Potiphar's wife. Yet he ended up convicted wrongly accused of rape. And there is nothing under these new rules that stops that from happening to my son or your, or anyone else's. Not only that, but we think about the rights that we have right now, free speech. And without the second, there is no first. But the first is being whittled away at. It is slowly being eroded. And this law, this interpretation of this law, gives the bully veto to silence free speech by simply labeling it as sexual harassment or discrimination. And without Mm -hmm. due process, there's no legal resource to challenge these claims. And conservatives... Be prepared to be banned from college campuses, schools, the public schools right now where I get to go in and preach, where I get to go in and share the gospel, where I have the privilege of doing that. That's going to stop. Opposing viewpoints will be silenced. But here's the thing, and and you might want to edit this part out. I think this is bigger 
than just sports and the LGBTQIA2S plus movement. <laughs> it's way bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Go back and look on the website for Black Lives Matter, and you'll see that in that in their charter, they they deny or reject the nuclear family. Yes. Everything that we're seeing today is about the destruction of the nuclear family and the so-called so-called patriarchy, the white male hegemony, the you, you know the man, the the reduction of an. I'm. It's going to sound kooky. I don't have a, a tinfoil hat on, but all of this including the reduction of an overpopulated planet by a species known as humans that, like a virus, is destroying the host. I think it's all part of this climate change cult where they're willing to go vegan or eat bugs, kill livestock to to prevent cow flatulence, ban so-called fossil fuels to reduce carbon footprints. But at the end of the day, humans are the real carbon they want to reduce. And how do you do that? Through population control, denormalize and destroy the nuclear family? Terminate life while it's still in the womb through abortion. Stop procreation by normalizing homosexual or asexual lifestyles. Remove undesired specimen from the gene pool through medical and surgical castration as part of gender reassignment procedures. This is Margaret Sanger's eugenics on steroids. Now, some people may be old enough to remember uh, back in 1956, this guy named Nikita Khrushchev, mm-hmm. who said, we will take America without firing a shot. We do not have to invade the U.S. We will destroy you from within. He was right. 100%. And you're, ex- you're exactly right. I don't believe in a, you're wearing a tenfold hat either. I would throw in there George Soros and his open society that is funding this. You also got the Henry Kissingers of the world who are globalists, who are 100% behind this sort of thing. As a matter of fact, Henry Kissinger has even said openly that we need to reduce the population by 50 million mm-hmm. people immediately. Yeah. So, you know, and he's served Republican administrations for mm-hmm. so long. So, folks, it's, it's everywhere. It's on both sides of the, of the aisle. They know these globalists know that they've got to do something about this to control the population and control us. And folks, it's it's coming. It is, and and you got these evil people who are who are really setting out to do it. That they are just they are motivated. Klaus Schwab, they're motivated by money and power. That's what their motivation is, and they want to control. And if they can be in control of everything, then you know that's that's their goal in life. But I got a news for them that they may think that they control everything on this planet. But they are not in control because I serve the one and only who is in control. He is God Almighty. He is Jesus Christ who is still on this throne. And he sets up on his throne and makes the earth his footstool. And there is nothing that these people can do, these Klaus Schwabs, these James Bond villains that that what they look like are pepperoni eyes like George Soros. You know, none of these people, Henry Kissinger, you folks, Joe Biden, let me tell you something, you folks. One day, whether you die on this planet or whether we go in the rapture and you stand before that white throne of God, one day, yes, even you, pal, are going to bow down and you're going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and you can't do anything about it. And thank God for it. I can't wait to see these these dirty devils bow before God and to declare him as God Almighty. I can't wait to see it. Cannot wait to see it. Amen. Well said. Amen. Amen, brother.
I'll just tell you what, we have had a good time today. I am so thankful for all your insight and thankful for you coming on. I know that we're going to have to have you on again very, very soon. And uh, I know that Alan, I'm just going to have to tell Alan, you know what, take another week off, Alan. We'll just have, we'll just have Dr. Burris come on and we will just talk through these issues again. Uh, next time, hopefully he'll be here with us and we can yes, just sir. really, because we just really like to have a good time and throw down and, and punch and have a, you know, have us a good wrestling match here. So, but we really appreciate you coming on today, Dr. Burris. Appreciate everything that you stand for. God bless you. We're praying for you and your church. And uh, we hope that the Lord richly blesses you in your church and that he uses you mightily in these last days, brother. Brother, thank you again for the opportunity today. What an honor it's been to talk with you. I do regret that Brother Mashburn wasn't able to be with us, but thank you again for the honor. And it has been a joy and a privilege. Have a good have a good day, brother. God bless you, folks. Join us again next time. We are looking forward to having you back again. We are preachers with a punch. And yes, Dr. Burris, he's a preacher with a punch, too. And we are so grateful for that. I'm grateful to have people like that that are still out there willing, who are willing to stand up and be heard and be counted amongst those who are not afraid. They will not bow the knee before the gods of this world. And I appreciate that. Folks, I am Dr. Nathan Street, along with Dr. Jonathan Burris. We appreciate you for joining us here today. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. 